Today on our road trip, we're going to Cooperstown. Uh, and there in Cooperstown is the uh, Major League Baseball Hall of Fame. Now that's quite a, uh, an accomplishment for someone to uh, get to that level of uh, appreciation and accomplishment uh, in any field. You realize that any given year, there's over 40 million little leaguers playing baseball. Over 40 million out there uh, at the schoolyards and in the ballparks uh, learning how to pitch, learning how to catch, learning how to hit, learning how to run. And the major league teams at any given point they have 700 total people on the rosters. That's I've done a little bit of the math on that. It takes 60,000 little leaguers to yield one major league baseball player. Now, that's, that's something. Now, one of the first persons I met when I came to Wimberley uh, was Mark Chalette. And we ought to get his picture up there because he... Uh, 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 he was in the Seattle Mariners. Yeah, some of you are saying that's not Mark. Mark's a lot older than that. But, uh, uh, but uh, I'm sorry, Mark. Uh, I've asked Mark to come and testify. And so, Mark, you come on, and I'll finish introducing you as you come. Um, I found out that he was in the uh, Seattle Mariners organization uh, for three years and uh, as a player and as a coach. And uh, so uh, since we're in Cooperstown today, and by the way, you have to be out of baseball for at least five years to get into Cooperstown. Now, you've been out for a little bit more than five, haven't you? And I didn't get to either place. Okay. <laughs> All right. But, uh, hey, I didn't, I didn't get past the Little League, so that's, that's great. So share with us what's on your heart, Mark. Thank you so much. The first thing that I would like to see, for all you guys who participated in uh, Cooperstown Sunday or, or Hall of Fame Sunday, stand up for me, if you will, and show everybody your jerseys or your uniforms and all that kind of stuff. Thank you so much for that. Um, I was born the third of four children to Herbert D. Chalette and Grace Geraldine McFarland Chalette. Um, I got a telephone call from Wyatt Tuesday, and the first thing, the hair on the back of my neck started standing up because Wyatt doesn't ever call me. The second thing, or the third, about the third word that rolled out of his mouth was opportunity, and I always find it interesting when somebody else thinks that they're giving you opportunity to do something. <laughs> this is not opportunity for me, other than the fact that I get to share my testimony because there's a bunch of eyes out here looking up here, and I, I, that's scares me to death. My parents were actually God-fearing, God-loving, Bible-studying Christian people. Um, I probably wasn't the best child out of the group of children that they had, and it didn't take them long to figure that part of it out. Discipline was part of the game at our house. Um, I was constantly in trouble, and when I got in trouble... Scripture started flying out, you know, like you need to honor your father and your mother when they ask you to do something, you know. And then there was one about, what was it, rod, spoiled, child, something like that. That's when I knew I was really in trouble. 
And uh, I got my tail feathers dusted on a regular basis, believe you me. Uh, it's, um, and, and I, you know, I really appreciated that. But there was one thing that always troubled me about that whipping. And it's that before it started, it was always going to hurt them worse than it hurt me. And I'm sitting here going, no, yeah, that's not right. I'm leaving with stripes and you're walking off. And until you actually have a family of your own, you can appreciate to separate the emotional part of that from the physical part of that. We were church-going people. Uh, every time the doors were open, oftentimes we opened the doors to the church. We were walking through, turning lights on, adjusting thermostats and things. I thought we were on the payroll for a while. Um, but, um, you know, we were there. We had, we had pregame church on Saturday night. We, after we studied our Bible study or our, our Sunday school lesson, then we had Bible study, getting ready for Sunday morning. And out of bed early, mom always told me, she goes, you never wanted to go to church the whole time you were getting dressed to go to church. And, uh, you know, Sunday school on Sunday morning, worship service Sunday morning, and Dan, sorry about this, choir practice on Sunday afternoon, which I absolutely hated because it got into, depending on the time of the year, football or basketball or baseball with everybody in the neighborhood. Uh, and then we went to training union on Sunday night, and then we went to worship on Sunday night. Tuesday night was uh, visitation, I think it was. And, uh, you know, Wednesday night, which is a special night to me, um, we also had RAs and, and then worship service again. So the week was pretty full of church in our family. Uh, one Wednesday night in the fall, um, I gave my life to Christ. Um, it was um, autumn, and I can tell you that I was scared to death. Uh, you know, white knuckle on the pew in front of me, you know, heart pounding out of my chest, tightness, I couldn't hardly breathe. I guess you would call that conviction. Um, but, uh, you know, it just so happens, and this was probably a miracle from God, that I, my neighbor across the street was actually uh, there. She was about three or four years older than me. Why she was there, I have no earthly idea, because she didn't go to that church. Um, I had a little crush on her, and, uh, you know, for some reason now, the clear blue, she grabs my hand and says, come on, let's go, you know. So we went up, and uh, I gave my heart to Christ, and my life has changed ever since. Um, I started playing baseball. I think I can throw this away now. I started playing baseball in the backyard when I was five years old, and I was talented enough at that time to participate with my older brother and sister, um, you know, we played hot box or some people call it pickle or whatever. And, um, I was constantly getting mad and calling them cheaters and ranting and raving. And mom would come out of the house, grab me by my t-shirt, take me in there, set me down. Two minutes later, I was saying, mom, I promise, I promise I won't do it again. Just let me out there and go play again. I didn't no more hit the screen door till I was calling them cheaters again. And I got thrown back in there and didn't get to participate anymore. Um, baseball back when I was first started playing, it was totally different than it is now. You know, everybody didn't get trophies. Everybody didn't make the team. You know, there's, there, was a, there was a little league team and there was a farm team. And if you weren't good enough to play on one, you could possibly be good enough to play on the others. And everybody had people age, ranging age from 8 to 12 on both teams. I actually made the little league team when I was 8 years old. And it was special because we went and to the state playoffs that year also in one second place and I got to play one inning. I didn't get a hit. I didn't get the bat. I didn't get any chances in the field, but I still got to participate. And I thought that was pretty good. Um, 
my whole career pretty much was was successful, um, you know, from little league to uh, high school baseball and all the accolades that went along with that. I got to participate in the first uh, Texas Coaches All Star Game at the Astrodome when I was a senior in high school, and was blessed enough to have gotten a game winning hit and was voted the most valuable player of that. Um, Coach Gustafson was actually there at the game, and I'm sure that most of you know the name from the University of Texas. And he called me the following week and asked me if I wanted an opportunity to play at the University of Texas and gave me a scholarship. So that was pretty special. Um, After that, my freshman year, we we went to Omaha. I didn't go because no freshman went anywhere. And um, we won the national championship that year. Uh, Had another opportunity my senior year to go again. Um, And we won two, lost two, ended up fourth place. And after the game was over with that evening, I was sitting in my room and contemplating what we could have done to win that game. And I got a telephone call, and it was actually Coach Gus. And he asked me if I wanted to uh, come to his room for a few minutes. Went down there, and he said, do you want to play professional baseball? I said, of course I do. It's what I've been spending my whole life preparing for. You know, it was a dream of mine. And uh, so I got drafted by the Seattle Mariners. It wasn't my cup of tea, honestly. Um, I'm a team player. I like to, you know, all the male bonding and everything that goes along with it, hanging around the clubhouse after it's over with. Professional baseball is totally opposite of that. It's all individualized. They could care less. If they win, fine. If they don't win, fine. Um, you know, it's, it's all about the stats and it's all about the money and things like that. And I really didn't care for that. I played a couple of years. I coached a couple of years. Um, had some political disagreements with some people in the organization. And I thought that it was probably best that I leave at that point in time. Um, I was blessed enough to have the talent. I wouldn't give it away for nothing. I've had several people ask me, if you had anything to change about your life, what would it be? And my answer is always this right here, nothing. It was a wonderful life. And I'm going to leave you with something this morning. Um, You know, there may be some people in here like I was when I was eight years old, you know, under conviction. And I just ask that you take the first step and let go of the pew and uh, come talk to somebody because opportunity doesn't last forever. Thank you so much. What a blessing. Thank you, Mark. Uh, Just really hit the nail on the head, and we appreciate you stepping out of your comfort zone. Sometimes God calls us to step out of our comfort zone, and we need to be ready. I noticed that uh, the first thing that he mentioned was I gave him an opportunity, and that somehow or another was shaky, but then all these other opportunities fell. Did y'all catch that? (laughs) Thank you again. You blessed us. Um, this morning we're going to shift from the baseball hall of fame to the Bible's hall of faith. And we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 11. And that, that, ver- that uh, chapter is sometimes referred to as the hall of faith. And I know several years ago I preached from these same uh, passages, but this is going to be different this time. So if you're one of those that writes in your Bible, uh, you just mark it down. This is different, all right? Uh, and uh, uh, Hebrews is a tremendous book. 
we don't know exactly who the author is, uh, but the first 10 plus, uh, or the first 10 chapters, uh, the author is talking about the superiority of Christ, and he's writing to the Jewish people, and he's telling them that uh, Christ is superior to angels. Christ is superior to Moses. Christ is superior to the priest. He is the ultimate. And with that, we can uh, understand that Christianity, believing in Jesus, is superior to any other religion anywhere ever. And, uh, uh, and the way we receive that is by faith. And in uh, um, chapters 11, 12, and 13, uh, the author is talking about faith and the superiority of faith. In chapter uh, 11, verse 6, uh, he, he says, It is impossible to please God without faith. We cannot please him. This God that is over all, this God that has created everything, this God that uh, holds everything together, it is impossible to please him apart from faith. And that's vitally, vitally important. Um, in chapter 11, and we're not going to take time to read all of this. We're going to go back and, uh, well, let's go ahead and look at the first two verses. But we're not going to read all of the uh, uh, the people. We're not going to read about uh, Aaron, about Moses and uh, Abraham and Sarah. But we're going to talk about them a little bit. Verse 1 of chapter 11. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. The ancients were commended for their faith, but in the Old Testament, we don't hear a lot about faith. The term faith is not utilized a lot. And in fact, uh, uh, just a couple of uh, instances, and one of them is Habakkuk 2.4. The righteous shall live by faith. Faith is so important, but it becomes more important in the New Testament. It becomes more important for us uh, because we have the object of faith, Jesus Christ. Now, I want to uh, just mention a few of these. Abel, by faith, he gave a better offering than his brother. And because of that, he, his memory lives forever because we read about him in the scriptures enoch lived by faith and he walked by faith and he walked with the lord so much that one day as he was walking along the lord said you're closer to my house than you are yours so come on home with me and god just took him he didn't have to experience death if the lord does not tarry if he comes on and we have the rapture some of us are very likely not going to experience death we're going to be like Enoch and the Lord took him not because we're so good but because of the blood of Jesus Christ because of the grace that God has extended to us and that he has given that to us through faith and then Noah he was able to build a boat 
in spite of all the harassment and ridicule. And by doing that, by faith, he was able to save his family. And then Sarah, she was 90 years old and had a baby son. And you ladies are thinking, what a blessing. (laughs) But it was a blessing for her. And it was a promise. You know, when God gives us promises, that's really what verses 1 and 2 are talking about. It talks about being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. And these people that we're talking about here, they were sure and they were certain. What it's talking about is being sure of the character of God. Now, when you think about the character of God, that's, that's some awesomeness working there. And we're talking about our faith, but God is faithful. God was faithful to create this universe, all that we can see anywhere, all that we can sense. God created it. And not only did he create it, he holds it together. If he didn't, if he ever took his hand off the universe, it'd just be gone. I'm convinced Einstein was right when he came up with uh, energy equals mass times the speed of light squared. The speed of light is a huge number, and then you multiply it by itself and multiply that by the mass, and that's the energy. That's, there's, it took a lot of energy to create all that is around us. And it takes a lot of energy. It takes a lot of constant work to hold it together. Now, you know, if you've ever maintained a car, that cars don't just run forever by themselves. You've got to maintain them. You've got to put new tires on them. You've got to, uh, you've got to change the oil. You've got to put gas in. That's pretty painful these days. And, uh, I, you know, if you, there's things that wear out, shocks wear out. And so they, it's either got to be repaired or it's got to be replaced. Systems just fall apart as they go. I'm walking living testimony of that. Laugh when I tell you to, okay? (laughs) But God has his hand on the universe. And he is faithful. We know he is faithful. So to know his character, know his holiness, he is... A couple of weeks ago, my small group did a study in holiness. Oh, it opened my eyes to think about how holy God is, how set apart he is. How different he is. We want to make him uh, in our own minds just a, a bigger, better us. But he's different. He is holy. Isaiah saw that when he saw him in the temple. And he says, woe is me when he was confronted with the one true God. Be sure of his character and also be confident, be certain of his promises. When God makes a promise, he's going to keep it. 
when he says that I'm sending my son to die on the cross so that he can cover up your sins, he fulfilled that promise. When Jesus said, I'm going to go and I'm going to prepare a place for you so that when I return, you can come and be with me, that's a promise. We cling to it. We are certain about it. And the only way we can be certain about that is if we have faith because this is the definition of faith. To be sure and to be certain about who God is and about what he has promised and that he's going to be true to that promise. And it may not seem that way every time when we uh, come up against trouble, when we come up against heartache, when we come up against sickness. But he is of great character. And he never makes a promise that he does not fulfill. We can have faith in that. And that's the way these Old Testament figures lived. And that's how they had the triumphs and the victories that they had was because of their faith in a God that had great character and a God that never turned back on his promise. When Sarah heard the promise of a, of a baby boy coming, she laughed. But God fulfilled that promise. When Abraham heard it, he, he was shocked. And, and even for a little while, they thought, this will never happen. We've got to do it our way, and we're all guilty of that. God's made a promise, and I've got to work and make it come right. And so they messed up. And Sarah gave Abraham her handmaiden. And there was another child born before the promised child. And then Abraham has Isaac and he's coming up of age. He's learning. He's knowing what's going on. And he says, come on, Isaac. We're going to go make an offering. We're going to go worship our Lord. And as they walked, Isaac began to figure things out. We've got the knife and we've got the fire. We've got the wood. But where's the offering? And Abraham had such surety, such confidence in God's blessing, God's promises, that he knew that if he was offering up Isaac, on an altar to God that God would raise his son back up because he had made a promise through that son to have a great nation. A nation so great that it'd be like counting the sands on the seashore. Be like counting the stars in the heavens. You can't number them. So he was sure, he was certain of, of God's character. He was certain of his promise And he knew that God was going to bless. And then he provided yet another sacrifice. It's so important that the object of our faith is placed rightly. You are all, all of you that are sitting in pews this morning, you have your faith in that pew. Okay? Now... 40, 50 years from now, same pew, maybe the same person, you might not should put your faith in that pew. 
because Wyatt sat on it and, uh, and other amongst us and kind of weakened it, aged it a little bit. And so the faith is misplaced. Now, I've got this jersey on, and uh, it's really a T-shirt. It's a poor man's jersey, okay, because the jerseys were 100 bucks, okay? And besides that, uh, this one has Josh Hamilton's number and name on it. And some of you that keep up with baseball know, well, you know, that's not the best guy to be lifting up because and uh, using as an example because he's stumbled. He's fallen. But you know what? So have I. And so have you if you will admit it. And if you think you haven't, read First John chapter 1. And you'll see in God's word that we're all going to fall. We're all going to fall short of what God has set up there for us. And, uh, and if we say we are without sin, then we're lying to ourselves and we're lying to God. We all fall short. In preparation of today's message, I, I watched a, uh, a video online. And if, uh, if you're one that gets online and um, looks at uh, things about sports, you'll enjoy this. Uh, just Google, uh, I am second. And uh, you'll see there testimonies from many sports figures and well-known personalities. And I watched Josh Hamilton's uh, testimony about I am second. He's saying, I am second because Jesus Christ is first in my life. And he tells about when he was uh, first drafted and uh, uh, the only two things he knew and had confidence in was baseball and his parents. And they had left a spring training workout or game. It was... Uh, uh, in, in the spring of the year, and they were getting ready to uh, uh, to start the season, and he was full of excitement and and all kinds of energy and abilities. He was in the car with his parents, and they pulled out into an intersection, and a truck ran the red light, killed his parents, both of them took away, because of his injuries, his ability to play baseball. And in one instant, the things that he had confidence in, the objects of his faith were taken away. He didn't have his parents anymore, and he didn't have the ability to play baseball. And from there, he went into a depression and he got into the drug culture. And if you look at him, he's got tattoos on his arms. That happened then. And then he realized that he needed to have his faith put toward the right object, the right person. And that person is Jesus Christ. And he started... God started changing his life around, and he started to use him for big things. But, you know, last week we heard a fantastic message from Kyle. He talked about doing big stuff. And I want to share with you one of my heroes in the faith. 
Uh, let's go ahead and uh, put uh, Pastor George's picture up there. Uh, Pastor George is a Anglican priest in Kenya, in Navasha, Kenya. That doesn't mean much to you, but it's a it's a thriving little city. Uh, a lot of commerce, a lot of things going on. And six years ago, I did not know Pastor George, but I heard of him. Because when we went through with our driver on the way to the game reserve, we'd been there doing work with the orphanages uh, and, uh, uh, and working with Donna. And the driver started telling us about the riots that had gone on, the tribal warfare that broke out. Uh, because of the presidential elections. And there was a Kikuyu man that was, that's a tribe, there's like 40 different tribes, and uh, Donna will tell you about them. <laughs> okay, Donna says, not me. But uh, uh, there was a, a certain tribe that uh, that won the presidency, and the uh, presidential election was contested. And there was a man from another tribe, another uh, prominent tribe in Kenya that uh, uh, came in second with that. And so Kikuyu people and Lua people started rioting against each other. And it was a sad, sad day for Christianity because there were pastors that stood in their pulpit and said, it's time to cleanse this congregation. And that was code for the Lua people to stand up and drive out the Kukua people, or vice versa. And one pastor even incited his congregation to go to another church close by that was predominantly another tribe and to burn it down while the choir was in it. Murderous, murderous acts. Pastor George, this Anglican priest, was in Navasha, and it was going to be a hotbed of controversy. His bishop, his supervisor, told him, Pastor George, get your family and get out of there. And he and his wife talked about it, prayed about it, and said, how can we lead this people if at the first sign of trouble, we turn tail and run. So they stayed. And sure enough, trouble came from outside. And that there were men that came with uh, bottles filled with gasoline and rags stuffed in, top, in the top. And machetes. And they began to firebomb certain homes of the minority tribe. And businesses. And as the people would run out into the street to escape the flames, they got after them with the machetes. Murderous, murderous things. And as the marauders came in to town, Pastor George put on his vestments, his collar, and went out into the street to confront them with nothing more than a command of Jesus Christ. And as he started out, his own home was hit with a firebomb. He went back in, rescued his wife and children, two children, 
got them out of the burning structure, and then went back out into the street, facing these men with fire and fuel and machetes, and told them to stop in the name of Jesus. And they looked at him, and they could have just as easily made mincemeat of him. But they didn't. By the name and the power of Jesus, they turned and they left town. He's a hero. I got to meet him uh, about uh, three years later, four years later, when we had our first pastor's conference there. And I found out he was this guy. And so he immediately was uh, was a hero and Larry was there and and he's Larry's hero too and I I know when his picture came up Donald was down here going yes we got to know him and we we appreciated his fellowship and and there are little backwoods there okay um last year when we were at the conference um uh, Larry got to go and visit in his home and uh, uh, as Pastor George brought Larry back to the into Abba's arms, uh, he decided they needed a snack. So there were two live chickens in the trunk. They didn't cook them that night. They just put them in the chicken coop with the other chickens, and they found something out of the refrigerator. But in this last conference that we had, during the conference, we got word that the Muslims were in a city a little further to the north of us. And they were having a rally in a soccer stadium calling for the government to bring about Sharia law. And that can be devastating. It can be murderous again. And it's not a tribal thing because the Muslims, especially the militant Muslims, They're not so concerned about tribes. If the imam says do it, they do it. If the imam says murder, they murder. And so uh, it was uh, uh, a time when our hearts kind of fell. And so we stopped the conference. And I said, we need to pray to our Lord about this situation. And we called on Pastor George to pray. I wish we had written it down. I wish we had recorded it. Because the whole prayer was so moving. But the thing that haunts me, that, that wakes me up at night sometimes, is the prayer of his faith. He said, Lord, if we must die, let us do so faithfully that's big stuff from a man that lives in poverty that uh, brings a snack of live chickens that uh, uh, and he's rich in that culture because he's got a car most of them didn't get there with a car most of them got there by, by walking or riding a bike or taking a taxi But by the standards that we have here, he would be in abject poverty.
Lord, if we must die, let us do so faithfully. Faith is so vital. If we're, we're probably not going to have opportunity here in this room to pray that prayer, Lord, if we must die, help us to do so faithfully. But I hope that as we looked into the book of Hebrews and we, and you read chapter 11, by faith, Abel. By faith, Noah. By faith, Sarah. By faith, Abraham. Think about, by faith, Wyatt. By faith, Donna. By faith, Pat. You fill in the name. What has God done? Has, first off, has he saved you? In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, it says, Not by, excuse me, you're saved by grace through faith and not by works, lest any man should boast. The faith is the conduit by which God blesses us. And he cannot bless us without that faith. It is impossible to, to please God. It is impossible to receive his grace. It's impossible to receive his blessing if we don't have faith. Now, first off, do you have faith that is saving? Have you accepted the free gift of salvation that comes from Jesus Christ? And John Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. There's no other way to experience his grace than to accept his son by faith. To be sure of his character, to be confident in his promises, to have faith. This morning, can you say for sure, I know that I know that I know. That Jesus Christ is my Savior. And that I have received that grace from God through faith. I was thinking about this, and this is probably more for the second service than this service. But maybe it will help you to relate to uh, someone else when you share with them about the difference between grace and faith. We have so many comforts of home here in this, in this country that are not experienced other places, but it works for here. Grace is like the big tank of water and the pipe that's getting it to your sink or to your coffee pot or to your teapot or to your glass is the conduit. That, that pipe is, is like faith, okay? That's the delivery system. When it's hot later on uh, and you've been outside and you and you're... You're just overheated, and you get to come in and sit under the air conditioning duct. The air conditioner's doing the work. But without that duct, without that conduit, we don't get the pleasure. Okay? We don't get the blessing. Grace is God's work, and faith 
is the conduit by which we receive his blessing. All right. Secondly, once you know that you know that you know that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, what by faith would God have you be doing? Pastor George said, if I must die, if we must die, let us do so faithfully. It may be, if I must let go of my loved one, let me do so faithfully. If I must be confronted with cancer, let me do so faithfully. If I must endure financial hardship, let me do so faithfully. Whatever it is that's setting you apart, that's getting you messed up, that's getting you off track, whatever it is that Satan would throw in your way, deal with it faithfully. Right now, we've got an economic crisis, I believe, in our country. You know, the first thing to go is given to the church. If I'm going to meet a financial crisis, let me do so faithfully. Let me be obedient to what God has for me. You fill in the blank. By faith, what does God have you dealing with? And if you do it on your own, without his grace, without his word, without his blessing, you're doing it on your own. And I don't know about you, but when I've done things on my own, they haven't come out as well as when I've trusted in God. Now, let me tell you about one area that Larry Adams and I have already talked about. We've gone for two years now to Kenya to be an encouragement and a blessing to these pastors. God has had his hand on it. The first day we met, three years ago, we had 25 pastors show up. Last year, we registered 175 pastors. And many more came. Many more besides pastors. This year, this February, I guarantee, because it's another presidential election, and the Muslims are, are riled up. It's Ramadan right now. And that's usually a time for violence. A month ago today, there was a... Uh, there was a uh, evangelical church uh, an inland African mission that's a denomination in Africa uh, church and a Roman Catholic church had hand grenades thrown into them uh, gunmen came and killed many and they did it uh, because they were Muslims because the imam told them to there's going to be a lot of people that say, Larry and Wyatt, and they'll say to Donna, don't go back. Don't go to Kenya. But Larry and I have talked about it, and we've prayed about it, 
And unless God says no, we're going back. The, the U.S. government, I guarantee they'll put a, a travel warning out. We'll have loved ones that say, why do you need to go to Africa? The answer is God has called us to do that. And we're going to be obedient. Throughout all of these by faith, so-and-so did this. It was out of obedience because of the being sure of the character of God and clinging to his promise. What is God calling you to do? By faith, you fill in the blanks. By faith, become a child of God today. Trusting in the only name that you can have salvation with, and that's Jesus Christ. By faith, is God calling you to something? By faith, is God calling you to be obedient with your finances? By faith, is God calling you to go and witness to someone? By faith, is God calling you to start a ministry? By faith, is God calling you to go over to the children's building or the youth building and do work? Now, it's not just big stuff. It's not just big stuff that we come up with in our, our my own minds. It's what God has called us to do. And if you think God is calling you to do something that is contrary to God's word, then he's probably not calling you to do that. Okay? Now, some of you are thinking, boy, Abraham, Abraham had it figured out. He's going to offer up his kids. Okay? Before you do that, even though it's in God's word, you come talk to me. Okay? <laughs> How is God dealing with you? Let's pray and then we'll, and then we'll stand and have uh, our time of invitation. Father, we, uh, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the message that has been brought from your word, not from the messenger, Father, but from your word. I pray, Father, that you would apply it to our lives and that you would help us to have that conduit complete so that we can receive the blessings that you have for us, blessings of salvation, blessings of life eternal in your presence. Blessings of being able to stand before you on judgment day and hear you say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Father, we give this time to you and we ask that you would use it mightily in our presence, that you would bring people to yourself, that you would change lives, that you would help us, Father, become more faithful, more committed to you and to your, to your church. We ask it in the precious, the life-changing, the glorious name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.